IEEE SA Voice shares insights and perspectives from the IEEE SA community, subject matter experts, and industry leaders that are working to raise the world standards, drive market solutions, and much more, keeping you at the forefront of technological innovation for the benefit of humanity. Welcome to the Rethink Health podcast series. I am your host, Maria Palombini, leader of the IEEE Standards Association Healthcare and Life Science Practice. You may wonder why this podcast series. So much is changing in the world of health, new technology, tools, applications, all of which should make us think. How can we rethink the approach to healthcare so that patients like you and me will end up with better health? We are bringing you experts, advocates, researchers who are looking at how we need to rethink the process anywhere in the healthcare ecosystem. So we're talking from the bench to bedside and all with the goal to get us where we need to be, healthier. We need wearables, biosensors, and other connected medical devices to be safe and secure so that we can do more with them while protecting the privacy of patients. Together with the IEEE SA Whammy program, let's rethink the strategy on security and safety before the device even touches the patient. To learn more about Whammy and help set a standard for securing connected wireless medical devices, visit IEEE-WAMIII.org. And Wham! You can make an impact on the healthcare ecosystem. Today, I'm delighted to bring you one of these experts, Jennifer Goldsack from Executive Director of the Digital Medicine Society. Our episode today is entitled, Taking a Stand, Moving Health Wearables to the Necessary Next Level. And by the end of this short broadcast, you will understand why and how to get involved. So, Jennifer, welcome Thanks, to the Thanks, Maria. I appreciate you uh, inviting me today. Okay, so tell us a little bit about yourself and your work at the Digital Medicine Society. Yeah, so um, as you said, I'm the Executive Director here at the Digital Medicine Society, or DIME. Um, Maria, we're a 501c3 nonprofit. We are a member organization, and we are committed to advancing the safe, effective, ethical, and equitable use of digital medicine products to improve lives. Excellent. This is how I came to know Jennifer because we have a lot of lines here. We want to talk about ethical, responsible use of technologies, how do we advance mm-hmm. medicine, how do we save lives. Do you want to give us some example of some of the great work the Digital Medicine uh, Society yeah, has done? Yeah, so we're still quite new, Maria. So we were founded in um, May 2019. So at the time of the recording, we're about at sort of 16 months old. But we, we hold ourselves to a high standard. Our sort of informal mantra, if you like, Maria, is doing a clinical quality work on a tech timeline. We recognize that there's huge opportunities um, to use new digital technologies, whether that's sensors, whether that's access to new data sets, um, or whether it's harnessing sort of computing power um, to improve lives. We also recognize that the uh, the pace of innovation in health technology is moving a little bit faster than um, all of the stakeholders find it easy to understand and certainly uh, faster than our pace to sort of regulate and control it. So we are very focused on making sure that these technologies are really deployed in the service of health and that we don't misstep. A critically important part of that, we believe, is bringing all of the different experts to the table, from citizen scientists and bioethicists, through every flavor of sort of clinical and engineering experts, data scientists, to regulators and payers. If everyone isn't at the table, we are not going to have the success 
um, and improving outcomes and improving lives that we should. Um, and we may also misstep along the way. So our role here at Dime is to try and coordinate expertise and collaboration and unifying frameworks and languages in the service of health using digital technologies. Absolutely agree and well said. Before we get to the core of what our conversation's about, you know, we're in a very digital world, very virtual world. So I would like to ask you, what is one little fun fact about you that would really humanize your voice, your expertise with our audience? So I tell you, this fun fact, Maria, makes me feel old enough and shake. But um, you may know from my accent that uh, I grew up in Britain um, and I found myself in the U.S. in 2007. My mother's actually American, so I always had uh, dual citizenship. And um, I, after graduating uh, from grad school at uh, University of Oxford, I actually spent a few years uh, as a professional athlete. So when I came to the States, I'd been on the British rowing team for a few years. And I came to the States, used my American passport, and actually competed on the U.S. Olympic team um, in Beijing in 2008. Um, and Maria, I intended to go straight home after this, um, or home as I saw at the time, back to London. Um, but I really loved the States. And so having sort of retired from my athletic career, I got into uh, sort of health research here in the States. Um, and I've been here ever since. So that's probably my fun fact also tells you how I got started working in healthcare here in the U.S. That is fascinating. So we have an Olympian on our podcast. Very exciting today. <laughs> yes, that's right. Very stubborn and like hard path. So I feel like <laughs> I'm probably doing the right work still. <laughs> We're getting into our next segment. The core of the whole podcast is what are we trying to rethink here? Therefore, big tech in healthcare, we're hearing more about digital therapeutics. We know there's a growing use of wearables. There is reports all over from all kinds of the big consultancies to the big research writers saying anywhere from 120 million health wearables to be utilized by 2023. We talk sensors in the body, on the body, around the body, e-wearable ECG monitors, wearable blood pressures, fitness trackers. Excellent. 75% of the population wants to use them to go towards better health. But here's the core question. What are we doing with these wearables? Great for monitoring, but what can we do next? What are we not pushing the bounds on? So, Jennifer, my question to you is, in your words, what do you think is the main issue with health wearables as it relates to clinical research? <laughs> Picking just one issue is a bit of a challenge. And, and, and I say that not to be negative about where we are, but because I think it's moving really quickly. I would say there's two things I'd want to highlight, Maria. First, I think we're at a moment where people have taken their eye off the ball. Not everyone, but I think that there's a misnomer right now, even in some of the statistics that you just quoted, that more digital, more health tech is better. I think that's the wrong way to look at things. There are persistent challenges that we faced in healthcare and in clinical research for years. Lack of access, unaffordable cost. We still have um, crushing conditions like Alzheimer's that we have no disease-modifying treatment for. In, in the U.S. in particular, we have particularly poor outcomes despite spending a fortune. These are the problems that we should be focusing on, and I think that digital and wearables and technology are a very, very important tool that can help us address these problems. I see huge promise in them, but I think that um, one of the challenges right now is just throwing digital at the problem, thinking more about the digital solution rather than its unique applicability to the specific sort of patient or clinical or business problem we're trying to solve for. 
Excellent. What do you perceive pharmacy's perception of wearables? We hear a lot that they can't trust them. They're concerned about patient adherence. There's sometimes disruption in the communication or security vulnerabilities and transport of data. I mean, there's a whole list of things we've heard. Do you find that the trust of these technologies for validating efficient use is for research would really push pharma and CROs to feel more comfortable with the use of these of these tools, or what do you think there's other challenges? Um, Maria, I really like that you use the word trust because I think that's what this all boils down to. And, you know, we were chatting at the beginning of the podcast about how this is probably one of the most interdisciplinary fields that we can think of. And I think that that is at the core of the challenge with trust. There isn't yet a unifying language for the field. If I say validation to a data scientist, to a hardware engineer, and to a regulator, they all mean different things. So it's not easy to communicate. It's not easy to collaborate. We also don't yet have shared frameworks for evaluating what good even looks like, whether it's from a measurement performance point of view, whether it's from um, a security or a data rights point of view, and whether it's from a usability and utility point of view. And I think until we can overcome these silos of expertise with vendors sitting at arm's length outside of farmers and CROs, without a common unifying language, without common frameworks, we are always going to have a trust problem because people don't understand what's going on. And um, that sort of list of problems is really at the core of what we try and address here at Dine, bringing everyone together, creating that common unifying language, creating those common frameworks. Um, and I know that we share those goals um, with your team, Maria, at IEEE Standards Association. Excellent. Agree. We, we see a lot of, uh, we're very aligned on some of the challenges that we're seeing. We talk a lot about challenges. In medical devices, we've seen there's been challenges all along. From a point of view of interoperability, compatibility, portability, we, we see all these big devices coming into play from diagnostic to therapeutic. What's going to, you think, is going to be the catalyst when it comes to wearables? Like, who do you think are going to be the true big entities or big players to catalyze this change that needs to be done when it comes to portability and interoperability and compatibility and the use of wearables? I think ultimately it's going to come down to recognizing that this is what patients want. If we talk to patients, if we talk to research participants, they want to be able to take their data, they want to be able to go to the provider or participate in the trial that they want to, they also recognize that it is their right to access their data. And so I think increasingly as patients and participants are exposed to technology and how that allows them to transport information in other areas of their lives, they're going to expect that when they come into contact with the healthcare system. I also recognize that I think we often burden patients to be the catalyst for change. And I think on the industry side, we need to step up, recognize their needs and realize it. Something that we've been thinking about a lot recently at Dime, um, and in fact, Maria, you and I have spoken about this a little bit, is on the clinical research side in particular, uh, I think that by the pharma industry standing shoulder to shoulder um, and demanding bare minimum standards around compatibility, interoperability, portability from vendors coming into this space, I think that essentially their buying power could be a very, very powerful lever in affecting change. Challenges around um, compatibility and interoperability aren't new. As you mentioned, we've seen them in the medical device world for decades. However, with wearables, we are at an exciting early time 
of this new sort of subfield. And I think we do have the opportunity to bring everyone to the table if we are strategic. I definitely agree. I think strategic is the key term there. We're coming up on our final segment. You know, the, the podcast is called Rethink, which means we want everybody to take an action. Therefore, when we think about all these use of the rise in the use of digital therapeutics, wearables, what kind of challenges are we really thinking about? Like, what keeps you up at night about the use of uh, these devices that really give you that fear that we can't yet trust them? So it's really interesting. I don't think that there are any gaps in our knowledge or our capabilities to develop and deploy these tools in a way that is ethical, is safe, is effective, is is, is equitable. I think the challenge is that we're not quite well enough aligned yet. We haven't quite assembled the jigsaw puzzle pieces well enough to ensure that's always the case. Um, Maria, I can have a bit of a flair for the dramatic sometimes, but, you know, the way I think about these things is this is a critically important juncture in the evolution of the field of sort of digital health and digital medicine. I think we have this opportunity to develop and deploy digital products as powerful, powerful tools in the service of improving health equity, health outcomes, and reducing healthcare costs in improving access, so on and so forth. I also think that we're in the precipice of, you know, some pretty big risks. That, that there's a risk of instead of developing sort of uh, precision uh, therapeutics and precision approaches to healthcare and to research, we actually just double down on the surveillance economy. That instead of using these tools to try and ameliorate health disparities, we actually make them worse. And so what keeps me up at night is, are we moving quickly enough to make sure that that ethical lens, that lens of equity, that lens of that that lens of safety is sort of keeping pace with the promise of these technologies. Are we really using them as a tool and not a weapon? Well, very well said. I mentioned a little earlier that you and I came to pass because we have very, very common um, alignment mm-hmm. on the use of technologies in clinical research. How do you envision the Digital Medicine Society and IEEE collaborating to figure out how is a great solution to really leverage these wearables beyond monitoring? Yeah, so I'm going to go back to your question earlier, Maria, that sort of honed in on issues of sort of interoperability and compatibility. I think that, you know, that is an opportunity for us to work together and to bring our communities together to bring that to bear. And I think the timing is right. And I think we both have sort of the energy and the expertise to actually move the needle on that early enough that it it becomes a sort of a permanent and an impactful change on this rapidly developing industry. I also think standing shoulder to shoulder and what we define as that common unifying language, um, helping folks understand what fit for purpose really means for each and every use case. I think if we can sort of uh, put those forward, we've done a lot of that work already at Dime. I know that you guys have some um, initiatives underway. I think if we can continue to sort of collaborate to support the field rather than sort of fracturing um, and coming up with uh, sort of competing frameworks, I think that's something that I'm very proud of, of IEEE and and Dime sort of standing together and making a commitment to the field that we will share and combine our knowledge and our best practice to best serve the industry. That's something I'm, I'm, I'm really proud of. And in particular, I think that 
you mentioned going to scale. I think a lot of that is going to come down to interoperability and compatibility pieces. I think unless particularly pharma companies can be confident in back compatibility, for example, over time, or that something as simple as continuous um, heart rate is actually defined as the same thing, measured and recorded as the same thing across technologies, across studies, across populations, we're always going to be hamstrung um, in trying to take these technologies to scale. Exactly. And for patients out there, you might think this is a wearable and this is a wearable and what's the difference? When it comes to clinical research, there's always a difference. And this is the heart of what we want to get to the point where we can make these things work in a way so that the patient, the experience is seamless for them as well as for the clinical research process. That's exactly right. Right? That's exactly what we want. We wanted to make it seamless, but we want to make it work. (laughs) And I'm glad you mentioned the patient memory because I think that's really important. I don't think it's necessary for example, for the patient to have to be burdened sort of in the weeds, and I'll use the the continuous heart rate example, right? There are some smartwatches that might record that as sort of average heart rate across 10 seconds, but reported per minute. Others might do it sort of average per beat. Others might do it over 60 seconds. And so until that's sort of standardized, it's almost impossible to make sure that the patient or the participant can actually get the technology that they want to use that works best for them because we're going to be constrained by who's reporting it in, in a particular way. Yeah, I really like how you frame that, Maria, keeping the patient right at the front of mind, even when we're deep in the weeds on technical standards. Absolutely. Jennifer, you co-authored an opinion piece, which I enjoyed reading, called The Wild West of Data, and I actually like the title more. Could you tell <laughs> a little bit on this, and, and how can some of the listeners read on what you guys wrote? Yeah, so Maria, I want to actually thank you. You gave us some really good support um, as we put that piece together. Um, you read a, a draft, and I'm very grateful for you. With Jordan Brynov um, from Takeda and Bill Byram um, from Signet Health, um, we did recently publish uh, Stat News' uh, first opinion to an op-ed piece um, that is in called, indeed called the Wild West of Data. And now we were talking about this challenge that we spent some time on this morning, Maria. Um, we were talking about the challenge of the pharmaceutical sort of industry in particular has spent many years now completing many, many successful proof of concept studies using technologies Patients are telling them that they're comfortable using them, that they want to use them. And the COVID-19 crisis has made us realize that we have to get better quickly at um, becoming less dependent on data collected in the clinic and that we can not only keep patients safe by keeping them out of the clinic, but we can also capture much more complete information about their experience with and without therapy using these uh, sensor technologies. The problem is, it goes back to what we were just talking about with our example of continuous heart rate monitoring. We're not comparing apples and and apples, even when um, some of the language suggests we are. And until we can give our pharmaceutical colleagues certainty that technologies um, are going to be back compatible over time, that they can select the technologies that work best for their participants. That data is reported in a way that it can be synthesized to be more than the sum of the parts. We aren't going to make forward progress. And I think that tremendous work has been done, and I'm proud of Dine's role in doing some of the work around identifying what good looks like in terms of measurement performance. For example, we proposed a V3 framework, verification, analytical validation, clinical validation, but, you know, until we can take that to scale, 
we aren't going to see technologies making the impact on feeding um, the development of new medical products to patients until we can guarantee some bare minimum level of interoperability and compatibility. So, yes, we get into that in much more detail in our stat news piece, Maria. Um, folks can download that from um, the stat op-ed, and I can send you the link if you'd like to post it with the podcast. Um, and within that op-ed, there's also a link for folks to sign up if they are keen to join us. And Maria, I know we'll be working together a little bit on this to sort of advance that notion of bare minimum standards that sort of transcend the whole industry. Yes, for sure. And we'll include a link to it. We're going to write a little blog about this podcast, and we'll include the link to the op-ed piece for sure. Jennifer, you've given us so much great insight today and so much to think about. And I want to thank you for joining me and being a part of this podcast series. Thank you for having me, and it's always a pleasure. I think that um, I'm very proud of our two organizations and communities for sort of being so committed to working together. So it was a pleasure to be your guest this morning, and I look forward to continuing to work together. Absolutely, same here. And I want to thank all of you for listening, and if you're interested in taking a stand and joining Jennifer and the Digital Medicine Society and IEEE SA to tackle the challenge of moving wearables beyond uh, monitoring or to help address any other challenges, solutions, in the clinical trials research process in the healthcare ecosystem and just in at the end of the day to make sure that we have a better chance for all patients to have access to better health, please visit our website at standards.ieee.org, healthcare life sciences, and you can look us up and find more information on how to get engaged. I want to wish all of you to continue to stay safe and well, and hopefully you'll join us on our next episode when we're going to tackle the quality challenges around digital therapeutics. On behalf of IEEE Standards Association and IEEE SA Voice, thank you for joining us today. For more information, please visit standards.ieee.org. We hope you'll join us again soon.